Good morning. Welcome to King's Church. If you're here last week, it's so awesome that we didn't scare you away. You're brave and you came back. It's exactly. Don't have a bounce house this time. We don't have any food, but we do have uh, Family Feast Sundays every month. So hang around and you'll get to enjoy some more food with you. It really, seriously though, if you are, if you're a guest with us, we're very, very, very honored um, that you came back and that you're here. And um, so like, I'm, I'm about to break the, one of the number one rules of church planting. See, what, what, the, what they tell you you're supposed to do is after you have a big launch event and you get people to come back the second time, so just to sort of give them you know, a message that's practical and uplifting, um, that meets them where they are, you know, something about like how to be a, a better dad and a better parent, all that stuff. I'm not going to do that. I'm probably going to offend you because this is the title of this sermon. <laughs> this church is not for you. So I, I'm trying to get to know you individually so that you know my heart. If you know my heart, you'll know really what I mean by this. And we're going to see what that, what that means in the word. You know, but I, my desire in all transparency is that you fully understand who we are as a church, what we're driven by, what our mission is, so that you can prayerfully decide if this is the community that you want to be a part of. Um, I don't want there to be any ambiguity what we're about, so that honestly, so you don't have to waste your time if you just think, sorry, that's not for me. And it's okay. We love you. There's lots of different streams, you know, in the kingdom of God. We're just one of those. But, um, but I just, I want to lay it out there and tell you a little bit about, about, about who we are and to tell you that this may not be the church for you. You guys with me in this? Okay. So don't, don't be offended. Bear with me. Hear my heart because I love you and you're beautiful, but I want you to know this. So actually, we're in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16 this morning. If you'll flip there, if you've got a Bible, there's some in front of you. Maybe you have your devices. We've got it up on the screen if you, if, if, if you just want to look up here and watch. Um, this, is, this is a story that, that has, is sort of one of those that has stuck with people through history. It's one of the ones that the hallmarks of our faith if you're from a Catholic tradition, this verse will, this story will have a lot of significance to you as well, um, because it, it sort of um, highlights from a Catholic perspective how the church got started. But I just want to give a little bit of a different perspective, maybe, because I think that the Spirit of God wants to tell us something about, uh, about the church and who it is. So um, we're actually just going to begin by reading this, and then I'll tell you a little bit of, um, a little bit of background to it, and we'll go from there. So this is uh, in Matthew chapter 16. Um, if, if you've read the Gospels before, you'll know that Jesus has is, is called um, 12 men to follow after him to be his disciples. It was common in that time for a rabbi like Jesus to invite young men um, to follow after, to sit at his feet, to be pupils, to be Talmudim, to be ones who study um, at the foot of the master and become his disciples. And Jesus had 12. He picked them, you know, he handpicked and said, you come and follow me. And these 12 guys, they left their nets, and they left their boats, and they said, okay, we believe in this guy, Jesus, we're going to follow after him because there's something unique about him. <clears throat> and a lot of his ministry, in addition to teaching about the kingdom, in addition to healing um, the sick, in addition to casting out demons, a lot of his ministry was also beginning to shape uh, the understanding of these 12 men, because he knows eventually his time on earth is going to be done, he's going to be finished up, and it's going to rest upon the shoulders of these 12 individuals to carry on the work of the kingdom. So Jesus is mentoring, kind of to use modern, he's mentoring these 12 
um, with the hopes that they really understand his mission, his identity, and, and what's at stake for the world. So by nature of being Christians, we too are disciples. We too are Talmudim. We too are the ones who are sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, learning to imitate him, learning to, to share his character, to do the things that he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. You with me on this? So I, I love these times when Jesus gives instruction to the disciples because I can imagine myself being there, right? I can imagine myself being like the 13th one, you know? I'd be like the last one picked if I was picked at all, but like I'd be, I'd, I just, I want to go where Jesus wants to go and I want to I learn as much as I can from him. So this is one of those chapters where Jesus is going to give some instruction to his disciples um, that's, that's, that's pretty crucial in their understanding. So let's just jump in and read um, beginning in verse 13. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Verse 15, But what about you? He asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Awesome. Hey, let me pray for us briefly, and then we're going to get into this a little bit more. So, Lord, we're reading your words. Lord, we're reading history here. We want to understand it. We want fresh revelation of your word and what it means for us, Lord. Not only do we want to understand, but we want to be transformed by your word. Help us to be, Lord, not like men who look in the mirror and then walk away and do nothing, but help us to look and to see and to respond and to be changed in Jesus' name. Okay, a little... I, kind of just a little bit about this. He comes to this region of Caesarea Philippi. Anybody ever been to Israel before? I can't see because of the lights, but I'm hoping a couple of you raised your hands. I've never been, right? I want to go. One of these days I'm going to go. But Caesarea Philippi, if I understand my geography, it's sort of like it's actually not in Israel anymore. It's actually now on the border of Lebanon and Syria. You kind of go to like the, the Sea of Galilee and kind of head northeast. You're going to hit the area of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is getting away on an excursion. He's taking his disciples for a little bit of a retreat. He has to do this frequently because of his popularity, and the crowds are all pressing in around him all the time, and there's so many demands in his time, people needing things. And, he, and remember what I told you, part of his mission is also to instruct these 12. So sometimes he's got to, like, guys, we've got to get away. We need to go on a retreat. We've got to go hide somewhere so we can have some downtime. This is one of those times. He goes to Caesarea Philippi and begins to ask his disciples. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, who, in other words disciples, you've been out there in the villages Tell, tell me what the word on the street is about the Messiah. Who's he going to be? You know, and Jesus knows that people are looking at him with this understanding too, that Jesus is the Messiah, and, and, and he wants to know, who do, people think, who do people think that I really am? And they give him some answers. You know, they say, you know, some people honestly think that you're John the Baptist. Some other people think that you're Elijah who has sort of come back from the dead, you know? Because you kind of have that same prophetic vibe, Jesus. you got authority when you speak. When you preach, people listen. 
You don't put up with all this nonsense from the religious leaders. So, you know, a, a whole bunch of people probably think that you're like Elijah who's come up from the dead. And there's this other group that thinks, you know, maybe you're, 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 you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus nods. He says, okay. And he asks this other question. He says, what about you, 12? This is what teachers do. Teachers, he's setting them up for this test. You know, they know the answer to the first one, but then he says, what about you guys? Who do you think I am? Have you ever been in a classroom where the teacher asks a question and like the first thing you do is like, oh shoot, I think I dropped my pencil down here and got to tie my shoe. You don't make, you don't make eye contact with the teacher, right? You don't want to be called on because what's the right answer in this? Like, I don't know, you know? So he asks, who do you think I am? Simon is brave and he's bold and sometimes he's wrong, but in this case, he just knows and he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter nails it. He's like, you are the Messiah, Jesus. You are the promised anointed one that our people have been longing for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Not only are you the anointed one that God has sent to lead our people, you are also divine. You are also the son of the most high God. And he has this incredible revelation of who Jesus is. You know, Peter, he mouths off sometimes, but he, he knows something when he sees it. And he speaks up. He says, you are the son of the living God. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's his name. Simon is his name. It's a good Jewish name. He says, for this was not revealed to you by man. In other words, this is revelation, Peter. This is Holy Spirit revelation. You are getting it. You are understanding who I am. This was not given to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And he goes on to say this. I tell you that you are Peter, Petros. And it's, it's, it literally means rock. So he says, Peter, you are, you're the rock. I want to call you that from now on. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So I want to stop right there and give a little bit of geographical context, if I can, because I think that context matters. You know, where people are when things are said matters. And this is one of those cases where I think it matters. And if you've ever been to Caesarea Philippi, you'll know that it's at least... uh, Sort of historically, it was known as, a, you know, it was obviously not a Jewish city, very much a Hellenized, very much a Greek town where there was a lot of immorality and everything else going on, just like you can imagine any other cities in the ancient world. But it was also the place where uh, there were, it was renowned for the worship of the god Pan. In fact, not only that, but there was also this shrine and this grotto to the god Pan. Um, you ever seen the movie Peter Pan? Okay, that's not the god Pan. Right, kind of has some similarities, but the Pan, the god, was sort of like this half goat, half man, and he was the god of he was like one of the gods of the underworld. He was sort of the god of of the wilderness, god of sort of everything isolated and out there. And in Caesarea Philippi, you know, sort of all through ancient history, there was this opening, this cave in this rock wall, and and that you know, sort of through time is where the people began to believe this is where Pan, the god, lives. This is the mouth that goes into the underworld. So we worship him. Let's set up a shrine. Let's erect monuments. Let's erect an altar here to the god Pan. Let's have orgies. Let's have a celebration right here at the grotto of Pan. Let's bring sacrifices and throw them into the mouth of the cave. 
And this, is what, and this is what they were known for, you know? This is the reputation. If you're a, if you're a fun-loving, you know, Greek of the time and you want to go to a party, it's like Mardi Gras. It's like going to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Where do you go when you want a good time? We're going to Caesarea Philippi because there's a pan party happening this weekend. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to go and celebrate and, and get drunk and revel and all these other kind of things. And we're going to go and we're going to visit the Grotto of Pan because that is the gateway to hell. That's the gateway to the underworld. I think it's ironic then that Jesus pulls his disciples away out of Israel, out of sort of the the safety, so to speak, the comfort of their own homeland. He says, we're going to get away. We're going to go somewhere unfamiliar. Let's go to Caesarea Philippi. And I wonder if the disciples said, what in the world? Why would we go there? Jesus, we're looking, look at us. We're like Jewish. We're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not party people. We're not Mardi Gras kind of people. He says, no, let's go. So the Bible says he takes them to Caesarea Philippi. And I wonder, I don't know this. It doesn't say it. But I wonder if they've gathered in that place. In the shadow of the rock. In the shadow of the cave. In the shadow of of the Grotto of Pan, the gateway to hell. Is it possible? I think it is. I don't know, but I think it is, especially because Jesus says this. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. We've understood that historically a couple different ways. If, again, if you're in the Catholic tradition, you've understood that to mean the rock that the church is built upon is none other than Peter himself. Because Jesus says, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. So the Catholic tradition said, okay, well, that means that Peter, as a leader, is going to be the foundation of the church. And that's how, that's how the, 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 the papacy system started. That's how popes. He was, the first arch, he was the first bishop, and then all the way down, and you know, that's kind of where we get to today. The pope is the leader of the church. He is the rock, and he, has sort of, and he carries the keys to the kingdom like around his neck. Have you ever seen a picture of the pope? He has this, these keys in his hand or around his neck or something else. And that's the keys to the kingdom that Jesus talks about. So the Catholics understand it that way. Others, sort of, if you're in a Protestant tradition, you say, eh, no, not so much. We don't really buy into that, that Peter is the leader of the church, and it's all about this stuff. What Jesus might have meant, says this other tradition, is that the, the confession, the declaration that Peter made is the rock. In other words, doctrine is the rock on which we build our church. Doctrine of Jesus being the Messiah, that's the foundation of our church. I think there's definitely some truth to that. We do build our church on some solid doctrines that we hold to be absolutely true. We believe that Jesus is both, both divine and human altogether. He is not just a mortal man. He is the Son of God. We believe that to be true. That's an essential belief. That's, we can't compromise on that. So in one sense, that is the rock that we build our church on. But I wonder if Jesus maybe had something a little bit, little bit more, more simplistic maybe, a little bit earthier, a little bit more organic. Can I suggest that? Can I suggest that maybe Jesus was saying something even a little bit more provocative? I wonder if he was saying, you're exactly right, Peter. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Your name is Rock, by the way. And you see this rock right here? This gateway to hell? This place of absolute human depravity? That, I'm going to build my church right on that. 
I can tell you, the more I read the Scriptures, the more I'm wondering if Jesus would have done something just like that. Because here's what he says. He says, on this rock, I will build whose church? (laughs) What kind of church would Jesus build? Would he go to Jerusalem? Would he negotiate with the architects and the builders of the day to erect this awesome big monument? Would he have this great big building campaign to raise money? Would he hire in you know, the, the best consultants in the land? Would he put together a crack team of designers and build up this incredible church? Would Jesus do that? I don't think so because there's nothing in his ministry that ever suggested that he thought in those terms. But everything in his ministry suggests that when he comes time to build the church, he's going to go as low as he possibly can to begin. Am I, am I wrong on that? Are you guys awake? I can't see you, so I'm hearing you. All right? So I'm wondering if Jesus says, I want to build my church in the lowest places of human depravity. That's where I belong. Disciples, that's where you belong. Let's go to the shadow of the gate of hell and build the church. He says, I'm going to build my church. And when I do, the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. They're not going to prevail against it. And I begin to read that. I begin to say, oh, Lord Jesus, what have I done? What have we done? What have we done as your people? We have built our churches. We've not let you build your church. He says he's going to build it. But instead of being way down here, we want to be way up here where it's respectable and comfortable and convenient. Where we have a lot of money and influence and respectability. And Jesus is sitting down here in the depths of the shadow of the grotto of Pan saying, who's going to help me build my church? So I'm going to tell you, this church is not for you. Because we decided we're going to, be, we're going to let Jesus build His church here. It's not for you and it's not for me. In fact, we believe that so much we put it on the sign. So what does this mean? What are the implications of this? First of all, it means it's His church and His alone. His church and His alone. His church. The King. This is His church. I'm not the King. Amen to that. I would be a terrible King. His church to build. But it's also, keep this in mind, his church is a church of paradox. Paradox means things that seem to be in conflict with one another. His church is one of those kind of churches where the least are the greatest. Where the things that often are, 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 are wise in the ways of the world are foolishness to God. God does an upside down kind of a thing. He wants his church to be that way. He wants us not to think with the wisdom of the world. He wants us to have the wisdom of the Lord and make our decisions and build our church that way. And I think he also his church is also meant to be an agent of change. Look at what he says in Matthew 18. He says, I've come, two verses later, two chapters later, he says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. What is this? Why does this church exist? What are one of the reasons why this church exists? to seek and save the lost. If you are lost here this morning, part of our mission is to find you and bring you home. That's what we want to do. That's that's one of the things that we're living our lives for is that we can find you and help you find yourself in the Lord Jesus and come home to Him. Look at what he says in in, uh, Mark, Mark 2. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He's not chasing after the respect. He's coming for the ones that are broken and they know it. 
Look forward, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Anybody poor here this morning? I'm just talking about bank account. You know that. Maybe you are too in your bank account. Anybody brokenhearted? Anybody been brokenhearted? To proclaim liberty to the captives. Anybody been in slavery to something? Maybe you are now. I've been there. And recovery of sight for the blind. Anybody blind? He says, God has sent me to preach the gospel for these things, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God's favor is here. When Jesus builds his church, he is announcing good news. He's announcing good news to all of us who are gathered around the grotto of Pan serving ourselves, worshiping ourselves, trying to find something to numb the pain of brokenness. And Jesus says, I'm going to build the church right there and proclaim good news to you. His church is an agent of change. So I've got to tell you, if comfort and safety, hear my heart please, if comfort and safety are essential to you, this church is not for you. Now, pause. Do I, do I like being comfortable? I do. I do like being comfortable. Is there anything wrong with it? No. Do I like being safe? I do like being safe. I put my seatbelt on. I pray over my kids when we're driving. I would be heartbroken if anything happened to any of you. I don't value danger. But comfort and safety cannot be the most essential thing that we want in a church. You cannot just want somebody who is here just to tickle your ears and send you home feeling blessed every single day. If perfect people are what you're looking for, this church is not for you. I'm glad I did not hear any amens on that. (laughs) If perfect people are what you're looking for, this is not because you're not going to find it. You're going to find very imperfect human beings who are still, you know, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're still learning. We're still growing. We're making mistakes. We still blow it. If you were that kind of person, you'd fit great. You'd fit in right here. If hard truth offends you, this church is not for you. Hard truth. If you aren't willing to be changed by the gospel, maybe this church is not for you. So I know all of that sounds harsh, so let me clarify. Everybody is welcome here. Everybody is loved here. I promise. I promise. I, there's nothing that I want more than for you to feel loved and welcome from the minute you step into this building until the minute you leave. And if you have felt anything less than that, please let me know. Please talk to me about it because it breaks my heart and we can change it. I want you, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what, I want you to feel loved and welcome because God loves you deeply. But we believe that Jesus wants to take his church deeper. And we want to go deeper with him at King's Church. We want to go further. We want to be, take risks we wanted just to, to, to have all that the Spirit wants us to have for His glory. We want to be in the shadow of the gates of hell and speak to people and say, look, you don't have to come here. You don't have to go down that path. We want to be as close as we can and call people away from that life into life of the kingdom of, kingdom of God.
And that's messy at times. It is. But I don't think we have a I mean, I, I don't think that if we want all of God, I don't think we have a choice in that. So let me just tell you the kind of church we are. This is our threefold vision. I want to end with this because I want you to understand what we're about. This is on your, um, on the, 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 it's on the website. It's on the back of that folder. I'm going to put it up here in a minute because these are the things that are driving us at, a, at, our, at our church. And they're, they're, they're shaping sort of everything that we're doing. First is this. We, are, we desire to be a worshiping family. And these are not in order of priority. Think of these as sort of a braid of three strings that are all woven together. So this is what King's Church's vision is. First of all, we are a worshiping family. And we've chosen that language intentionally. We did not say we're a worshiping institution. We did not say we're a worshiping country club. We did not say that we're a worshiping church. We didn't even say that. We said we're a worshiping family. And what that means is we believe in worship encounters with the Holy Spirit that lead to transformation. So you got a little bit of a taste of that this morning. You notice that what we don't have is a little bulletin that has, here's the first song we're singing, here's the second one, here's the third one. You know, we have an offering in that. We don't have that listed out because we really want the Holy Spirit to help shape our services and kind of guide those things. And we don't want to just come in and go through the motions of singing. We want to encounter encounter the Holy Spirit, and to really be transformed by that. A little each week, a little at a time, to be shaped more into the likeness of God. It also means that we believe in biblical teaching and discipleship that leads to holy living. We have a high view of Scripture here. We want to do what it says to do. We want to be what it says we can be. And we're gonna, we, we want to teach and disciple in such a way that, again, our lives are different from the culture around us. And we also want to be renowned in our community. We want to be well-known in our community for radical love for God and for others. Now, you know, we want to do other things excellently. We want to have great worship. We do. We want to have, you know, all kinds of stuff. But if we can be known for one thing only, if we can just have one reputation, we want it to be that right there, that we love God deeply with everything we've got and that we love others the same way. So that's our first thing is that we're, we want to be a worshiping family. Here's the second, here's the second part of, our, of, of who we are at King's Church. We are a house of prayer. We are a house of prayer. What that means is, is that we, we think something has been lost in our culture in churches in learning how to pray. I won't, I won't ask this question because all of us will be guilty of it, myself included. You know, but how many of us have really discovered the joy of a deep, meaningful prayer life. More than just the, Lord Jesus, bless this food, and the hands that prepared it, in Jesus' name, amen. More than that. Deeper than, Lord Jesus, help my little babies to have a good night of sleep, and da-da-da. How many of us have, have really discovered the power and the joy of being in the presence of God in prayer? We want to rediscover that as a church and as a people. What that means is we want to develop personal, starts with me, family, my little family, Megan, my kids, and corporate, in other words, the whole church, lifestyles of prayer and fasting. In other words, we, we've, we've cultivated habits where we pray and fast. And you're thinking, oh man, this sounds like I've joined a monastery. Not quite. We get to get married and 
talk on occasion. <laughs> but we want to have a lifestyle of praying and fasting and doing it individually and in families and in together. And we want to discover the joy and the power of that. We don't want this to become like this oppressive weight upon us. That's not, that's not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants us to discover the joy of prayer. You know how quickly two and a half hours can pass when you're watching an awesome movie? Right? Am I right? But some of us have a hard time spending five minutes in prayer. What if God could give us the same passion and hunger and connection in the prayer room that he does in the two and a half hour movie? Okay, great. God, I want you to do that in me. I want to love prayer as much as I love the movies. We want God to do that. We think he can. It also means we dream of a night and day prayer room for our community. And that's what this place is right here. Did you know that? Did you know that this sanctuary is our prayer room and it's open three days, three days a week and one evening a week and you can come in anytime you want? We're streaming worship. We're streaming prayer. You can come in and you can sit in the presence of the Lord. That's what we want to do. And we want to expand that. We would love, love, love to have a day when people are interceding in this room around the clock. You want to see breakthrough happen in your family? What if your need that you have in your family and you give it to the church, what if you knew that that need was being brought to the Lord around the clock 24 hours a day by some intercessors in here? I promise you'll see breakthrough. We also want an assembly of committed intercessory missionaries. These are ones who commit. I want to be in the prayer room. I want to spend time in the prayer room. I want to go to my knees and go to battle. That's what we dream of. So we are a house of prayer. Third thing is this. We are an apostolic mission. We're an apostolic mission. I know that A word scares some people off, right? If you are from um, maybe Pentecostal backgrounds or apostolic church backgrounds, that may either delight you or cause you to run for the hills. <laughs> so I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer as to what we mean by that. <clears throat> An apostle in the sense that we're using it up here, is simply one who is sent. That's what we mean. That's all that we're not talking about. A, we're not talking about a spiritual office or a, you know, a, a title on a business card or any of that kind of stuff. We're not talking about that. We're, in this instance, all we're talking about is sending people out. This is why, also why we exist as a church. So what do we, what do we, what do we believe? We want to see all generations. In other words, you grandma and grandpa, you mom and dad, you, teenager, you, little five, six-year-old, all generations. Say, all generations. Do you believe that your grandchildren, that your little ones, do you think that they have the kingdom of God inside of them if they're walking with the Lord? Do they get like a little micro version of the Holy Spirit? They don't. They get the full measure. So what if we could train and release our young ones to go up and to pray and to speak truth and love and to minister to people? I think they can. In fact, some of the best revivals in history have been led by children. Ask me about that later. All generations doing the works of Jesus with love, wisdom. Wisdom means knowing how do you do it in the right way without being weird and hurting people. And boldness. We want to do the works that we want, to, we want to heal in Jesus' name. We want to preach in Jesus' name. We want to engage the darkness and deliver in Jesus' name. We want to do it, though, with love, first and foremost. We want to do it with wisdom, 
We want to do it with boldness, and we want all generations to do that. It also means practical, hands-on training for supernatural ministry. Some of you are thinking, this sounds great. I have no idea how to do this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to train you to do that. Kingdom Boot Camp is where we're going to start in two or three weeks on, on, on October 30th. we got four weeks. We're going to go through some basics of supernatural ministry. What does this mean? How do we do it? I'm not an introvert. How do I, you know, how do, I do these kind of things? You know, I've been burned in the past by this. I get all of that. We're going to walk through it together, okay? It also means planting more kingdom churches in our region. God has called healthy churches to grow and multiply. And that's what we want to do. Now, take a look around. You're thinking, eh, there's not very many people here. How in the world are we going to plant a church? Healthy churches grow. And we're going to grow. And we have been growing. And we're going to continue to do so. And when the right season comes, we're going to start other churches. We're going to start other congregations in other places. And we're going to send the same kind of, uh, the same kind of mission with them out there as well. So we are an apostolic mission. This is not just for a select few. This is the expectation of everybody who is part of the King's Church family. All three of these. Now, are we going to be legalistic about it? Do we have like this checklist and, you know, how much did you pray today in the prayer room? No, we're not going to do that. There's grace. There's such grace and freedom. But we believe that all of us are called to do this. So this is the kind of church that we are. So if that resonates with you and it doesn't scare you away, maybe this is the church for you. If not, that's perfectly okay. And I can promise you, are we going to make some mistakes? Absolutely we are. Are we going to do things perfectly? No, we're not. But we're driven by the promise of Jesus that he will build his church. He will build it. It's his. Amen? Brian, come on up. That's what I got this morning, friends. Listen to this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We've prayed that before. Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. What if he gives us the keys and says, here, King's Church, all the resources of heaven are available to you. Unlock it. All the power and the authority of heaven is in your hands, King's Church. Steward it well. If you knew that we could succeed at anything we put our minds to, would that change your vision about what a church could be? Change my, it would change my vision. If I knew that all the resources of heaven were available and Jesus says, I want you to go, it would change how I think about things. And it has changed how I think about things. And your leaders and the, and the, the elders here, it's changed us and it's shaped us as well. All right, I want to pray over us. Um, I want to share some, see if I've got any words of knowledge coming in here. Y'all stand up with me if you would. Brian, go ahead and begin to play if, if you can. So we end, we end our services with ministry time every week. This is not so much of the normal 
altar call, heads bound down, eyes closed. Sometimes we'll do that. Sometimes, but really what this is, is look, we're just going to respond to the Lord in these moments as we're wrapping up. We got time too. I'm a little bit early. It's good. So we're going to move into worship time. You're free. I want to pray over us and then you're standing now, but if you want to sit back down, go ahead and do that. That's, that's kind of our format here. You know, you're, you're free to stand, to sit. Even if we say, hey, let's all stand up, it doesn't mean you have to stay that way. You know, whenever you need to sit down, go ahead and sit down. It's okay. Um, so we want to minister to you. If you've got, if you've got some, some situation, some need that you need prayer for, um, we want to pray for you up here. So that may, be, um, that may be a physical thing, like, hey, I, you know what, I'm in, I'm in pain, I've got something going on, I'd love for the Lord to heal me. We see healings here frequently, and we believe that God is doing more of those with each season. So if you have a physical need, don't leave this morning. Please let us pray for that. If you've got any kind of financial, relational, job situation, anything at all that you just want to see breakthrough for, We'll, we'll pray for you about that as well. If you just kind of want to be in the Lord's presence and just do business with him, come on down. This little area in the middle, we'll leave this open. If you don't want to be bothered by anybody, you just want to pray and sit or kneel, or stand, whatever, we'll leave you alone. If we can pray for you, you can come over to this side over here um, or, or to this side over here as well. I get the, I get the sense that many of us have been disillusioned, maybe even burned by churches in the past. You've been wounded. And sometimes it's a struggle to get up and go. Maybe it's a struggle to get up and come this morning. I just wanted, I want you to know that the Lord can, can heal. The Lord can restore hope again. Don't give up. Don't give up on the family of God. Jesus is still in the driver's seat. He's good. And he has healing for you. He has restoration for you. And it's okay to be who you are. It's okay to have the baggage that you have. There's no shame in that at all. We're not expecting you to be, have it all together. All right, let me pray for us and then we're gonna do ministry here. So Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you that you are building your church. Jesus, this is your church. We take our hands off of it. And we know that you're building our church surrounded by our own brokenness. Surrounded by our own fatigue and questions and skepticism and wounds. You're building our church in the middle of a community of people that just don't have it all together.
you've promised, Lord, that that church is going to sustain, that church is going to prevail, that church is going to make it. So, Father, we just bring our woundedness to you, our woundedness about churches in the past. Maybe pastors have hurt us with words, with things they've done, or maybe things they didn't do, they should have done. Lord, we lay those wounds down at your feet. Lord, any disillusionments that we might have from the past where your bride has failed to radiate with holy beauty, we lay those those disillusionments down. We know that your church is bigger than any one congregation. We're thankful for that. Would you heal the wounds of our heart, Lord God? Restore to us a vision of your family and call us together, Lord God. Amen. All right, we're going to worship. If we can pray for you, come on to the front. And after a, after a song, we'll give a soft release for those of you that need to go.